Mark chapter 6. Let's stand together, if we might, for the reading of the scripture. I'm going to read verse 34. Uh, we covered this last uh, Sunday and then move into our text for today. But thir verse 34 says, And Jesus, when he came out, saw much people. Just a way of remembrance. Jesus had just uh, take, tried to get away for a sabbatical, really, with the disciples. They were, uh, they were weary. They'd been on this tour, preaching tour, all of them. They just were trying to process the pain of John the Baptist being beheaded. And, and Jesus said to them, let's come apart, get away. So they try to get in the boat and go across. But as soon as they get across the sea, they're waiting for him. Sea of Galilee, small, of course, and... Uh, so when he got out, it says in verse 34, he saw much people and was moved with compassion toward them because they were a sheep not having a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. Now our text for today, verse 35, and when the day was now far spent, his disciples came unto him and said, this is a desert place. And now the time is far past, very remote, solitary place, desolate place. And the day is getting away from us. The day, it's late in the day. The day is now far, past, far spent. Time is past. And in verse 36, the disciples did what they thought would be the reasonable thing. They said, send them away, these people. Send them away that they may go into the country round about and into the villages and buy themselves bread, for they have nothing to eat. He answered and said unto them, Give ye them to eat. Now it's really an amazing command. You know, there's a crowd of people, and we're going to find out in a little bit, it was a pretty big crowd, 5,000 men, not counting women and children. And the disciples are concerned about their their well-being, about them needing something to eat. And so he said, why don't we just break this up and send them away, let them find something to eat. And Jesus said, why don't you feed them? <laughs> Think about that. Why don't you feed them? Give you them to eat. And they say unto him, the disciples are speaking to Jesus, shall we go and buy 200 penny worth of bread and give them to eat? And it appears they're estimating, you know, how much would it cost to feed this crowd? Uh, they say that a penny there is about a day's wages. You do the math. You know, 200 penny worth. It's going to take a lot to feed this crowd of people. Hungry men, right? He saith unto them, how many loaves have you? Let's do, let's do a little inventory. How many loaves have you? Go and see. Go find out how much the food you can find. And when they knew, they say five, five, talking about loaves and two fishes. Five rolls. Biscuits, five pieces of bread, and two fish, dried fish. And he commanded them to make all sit down by companies upon the green grass. And they sat down in ranks by hundreds and by fifties. And when he had taken the five loaves and the two fishes, he looked up to heaven and blessed and break the loaves, and gave them to his disciples to set before them, before these people divided up into groups. And the two fishes divided he among them all, and they did all eat 
and were filled. And they took up twelve baskets full of the fragments and of the fishes. And they that did eat of the loaves were about five thousand men. So I want to just look at this passage again today and talk about feeding the 5,000. Let's pray as we get into it. Father, thank you for your word today. We just love to read it and think about it. And, and Lord, just meditate on it. We're, we stand in wonder, God, of your greatness, of your goodness. We pray for your help today as we look into the scripture, not only that we might understand what took place, but Lord, that we might understand what it means for us today. And so please help us. Help us to be attentive to your word, to receive with meekness the engrafted word, which is able to save our souls. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. I kind of hesitate to say this, but it's the way I feel. I think this is one of the most remarkable of all the miracles. Now, any, mir any miracle is remarkable, right? By the way, this is the only miracle recorded in all four of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. A miracle is something that God does, an act of God that is contrary to the laws of nature. It's supernatural. It's not something that just happens. It couldn't happen on its own. Man couldn't make it happen. And every miracle is amazing. I mean, when you're talking about healing a crippled person, giving sight to a person that's never seen before, healing a leper, raising a person from the dead, I mean, you name it. But this miracle to me stands out. It stands out for a number of reasons. Number one, you think about the number of people who are affected by it, 5,000 men. It doesn't tell us here in Mark's gospel, but Matthew says, in quote, beside women and children. Matter of fact, we know there was at least one child present because it was a lad who provided the the biscuits and the sardines, the, the bread and the fish. So 5,000 men. And not only is it was incredible that they fed so many, but they have so many leftovers. They, in our house, leftover, this bag of leftovers, 12 baskets of leftovers would last a while, right? But also when you think about the manner in which it was served and the way it was multiplied. He didn't multiply it all at one time. It's like it just gradually kept growing. It kept multiplying. The more they gave away, the more they had. Every time they'd break, he'd break it and give it, it would just be more. It's just, it's just a miracle in the way it just kept happening. What a demonstration of God's power, amen? And that's, it's an amazing thing. I want to take a moment and, and just uh, t do a little bit of an aside from this because I want to emphasize something that's taught here, and that is the purpose of these miracles. We mention this from time to time. But we think of miracles like if someone cannot see and they're able to see, or if there's a family member that's demonized and they're able to be delivered, we think of that in terms of how it helped that person and how it helped that family, and we ought to think that way. But the Bible makes it clear that these miracles were not just to meet human needs. There was a larger purpose in these miracles. These miracles were to help people see who Jesus was to identify him, to recognize him. This is not just a good teacher or a great prophet. This is not some mortal. This is God incarnate. This is God in the flesh. So with that in mind, hold your finger here and mark, if you would please, and let's turn to the right to the Gospel of John, and we'll be there for just a couple of minutes. Uh, but look in John chapter 6. John chapter 6, and... 
This miracle is described by John beginning in verse 5 and following. We're not going to read this, but I just want you to see that that's what this is about. And, and Andrew actually in verse 8 is the one that found the food. In verse 9 he said it's a five barley loaves and two small fishes. So that's the miracle there. But just look at the, a little further down if you would please to John uh, chapter 6 and verse 14 where it says, Then those men... Like see in verse 13 where you have the 12 baskets of fragments. Then verse 14. Then those men, when they had seen the miracle that Jesus did, were in John 6, 14, said, this is of a truth, that prophet, that should come into the world. In other words, they're recognizing the really the larger purpose of these miracles to say this is not just a man. This is not just a teacher. This is not just another preacher. This this is that prophet that would come into the world. And um, go also in, in John's gospel over to the right, to the end, near the end of the gospel of John, and we see this uh, important factor as far as the miracles that Jesus performed. We're in John chapter 20 and verse 30, where it says, And many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples. Now, just before this was when Jesus made his identity, confirmed his identity to Thomas, when Thomas touched his hands and touched his side and said to, to him, My Lord and my God, I know that's who you are. And then verse 30, John says, And many other signs, truly, other miracle, miraculous things, did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written. Here's the purpose that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through His name. The, the larger purpose of the miracles was to reveal who Jesus is. Help them understand that He was, he was God's Son. He was Jesus. He was God incarnate. And unfortunately, about a lot of these people, they never really got that part of the message. They, they liked what Jesus did for them, but they didn't necessarily just want Jesus. You know what I'm saying? They, they kind of wanted the gift, but they didn't want the giver. They wanted the blessings, but they didn't really want Him. And um, they missed the whole point. As a matter of fact, if, let's go back to where we were in John chapter 6. Just going back again to that passage in John chapter 6 where it dealt with this very subject of the feeding of the 5,000. And soon after that, they asked Jesus in verse, look in John 6, 28. They, they said to him, what shall we do that we might work, work the works of God? We want to do this stuff. And Jesus answered and said, and this is the work of God, that you believe on him whom he hath sent. That you believe on him. They said therefore unto him, What signs showest thou then that we may see and believe thee? What doest thou, what dost thou work? Our fathers did eat manna in the desert. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Moses gave you not that bread from heaven, but my father giveth you the true bread from heaven. And I think it's very interesting that soon after, according to John's record, soon after, 
Jesus had turned, miraculously turned, or, or blessed and provided these, turned a few rolls into enough food to feed multitudes of people, then Jesus said, I'm the true bread. It's more than a coincidence, right? I'm, I'm the true bread that came down from heaven. And if you look over in, in, in verse 51 of John chapter 6, he said, I'm the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. He said, this is just, I just want you to know who I am, what I can do for you. I can, I can not just fill your belly, I can fill your life. I can give you bread to eat that you'll never hunger again. But just a few verses later, if you'll go over to verse 66 of John chapter 6. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. There was this defection. We'll talk about this next week, but that's kind of a, one of the reasons this, this is such an important miracle because this was really the high point of the crowds assembling and being around Jesus about a year before he would go to the cross. But here's the point I want to bring out. I took the time to... They wanted his blessing... They wanted him to meet their needs, but they didn't really want him. And I don't, I don't think that's something that, uh, that passed away at the end of the New Testament era. I think there's still people that kind of think about that. We want his blessings, we just don't really want him. And I ask you today a very serious question. Do you, you, know, what about, do you really want God in your life? Some people want God to bless them. They want God to meet their needs they even, they even may say they want God to forgive their sins or they want God to take them to heaven one day, but they don't really want him in their life. And let's make sure that we, yes, God does bless us. Yes, he does promise us peace and eternal life and forgiveness of sin. But the greatest gift that God offers you is not just those things that you can touch and feel. The greatest thing God offers you is himself that he would be a part of your life, that he would walk with you, that he, would, that he would be there for you, a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. We all, need, we all need bread, right? We all need food to survive, but more than that, we need spiritual bread. We need the bread that came down from heaven. We need him in our life. And I, I just want to urge you today, please hear me today. I want to urge you today. To, to begin to think like this. I, I don't just want the things that Jesus says he could give me. I want Jesus in my life. I want him to be a part of my life. I want him, I want him to be there throughout this life, not just a place where I can go be with him in eternity, but I want him with me every day. And so I'm going to go back to Mark chapter 6 because I really, I really feel like this miracle, this great miracle that we're reading about is so important. But it wasn't just important. It wasn't just important. And, and, and really, I know that you know this. Most of you would know this or think about this. One of the reasons people followed him around was not just so they could be closer to eternal truth. It's because they could see what he might do, what he might do for them, for their loved ones, what, he might, what might he do next. You understand what I'm saying? I'd be, I'd be honest with you, I think it would be an amazing thing to behold. But something more than that is is that's to have him in our life. I want to look in Mark chapter 6. This is a great, great miracle and a great passage, and we've looked at it here before. But I want to, I want to take our remaining time today, and I want, to, 
I want to just focus on a few aspects of this miracle that most people in this room, if you'll think about it, can relate to. And the first one is this. The things, see that what God told them to do was amazing. I come back to that. Imagine that was you. People are hungry. I mean, two or three hungry men would intimidate me. 5,000 of them. And just put yourself in their place, these disciples' place. When they say, should we send them home? Should we, we don't have enough money. We, we, maybe we scrap our money together, we could feed them. And Jesus said, you feed them. Why don't you feed them? Now you think about that. But this is what it makes me think of. The things that God has for you and I to do are impossible for us to do in our own strength or energy. They're astronomical and extremely large. You see, God, God often, if you'll think about it, God puts us in places where we need Him to do what He wants us to do. I'll just give you one example. Think about this command. Would you just kind of try to embrace this command, think about it in your life, and personalize it? Jesus said to every local assembly, take this message of the gospel to every creature in every country throughout the world. Now, if you thought about that, you'd think, there's no way that can happen, right? How can we do that? How can we, I, I, to me, me taking virtually no food and feeding 5,000 hungry men is an incredible thing to ponder. But me, us as a church, taking the gospel to the entire world, the population of the planet, is equally impossible. But let me just bring it down a little closer to home. Think about commands that God has given each of us. Okay, husbands, think about this. Jesus said that you're to love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Now, I, it's easy for me to love my wife. And it's easy for me to say it when she's here. <laughs> I love my wife. But for me to love her the way Jesus loved the church, that's a different thing. You say, well, I just can't do that. This is my whole point. Everything God commands us to do is more than we can do on our own. Bring, bringing every thought captive unto the obedience of Christ, letting Him have charge of every thought that goes through your mind. Does that sound simple and easy to you? For me, that's a charge that I need help with. I need God's help with that. Bless, we heard about this in Sunday school this morning, blessing those that curse you. Say good things about people who say bad things about you. I can't do that on my own. I need help with that. And one of the things I see about this miracle that I can relate to is the things that God calls us to do are larger than we can do. We cannot live. You cannot live. I cannot live this wonderful life without his help. I need his help. Give ye them to eat. He says, do you, I want you to do this. They could not do that on their own. And I'm telling you, if we're going to do what God wants us to do, we have to realize we can't do it on our own. But God can help us. God want, the, the, I think one of the struggles that some people have with the Christian life is, 
They think that they ought to be able to live it on their own. They're frustrated because they can't live it on. I can't love people like I should. I can't say no to temptation like I ought to. I can't, I can't do these. But I'm telling you, God never thought you could do it on your own. God never intended or planned for us to do it on our own. But he will help us do what he commands us to do. These things God calls all of us to do are larger than we're able to. And, when, and back to this matter of the gospel taking the gospel around the world. We don't have enough laborers. We don't have enough money. We don't have enough resources. But I'm telling you, God tells us to do it. That's the first thing, what God calls us to do. These things are larger than we are. A second thing I want to notice about this, this miracle, and it's not recorded here in Mark 6, but it is in John, and that is this. This was really a test for the disciples. It was a test. In John chapter 6, it records that Jesus specifically spoke to Philip about this situation and giving them something to eat. And this is the quote from John chapter 6. Please listen as I read it. And this he said to prove him. Whether he himself, because he himself, Jesus, knew what he would do. It was a test. When, when Jesus, if, if Jesus was saying, I'm going to use Cedric as an example up here my good buddy. If Jesus was saying to Cedric, feed these people, he said that to Philip, the Bible says that was a test for him to see what he would do. And this was a test for his disciples. And the disciples saw two solutions. We've already talked about it. Number one, we'll send them away. That was their first response. Send them out to buy food on their own. The second one was, we could try to raise enough money, go to town, get the money, get the food, and bring out and feed them themselves. These, these, this miraculous situation was a test of their faith. And Jesus insisted that they feed them. So Andrew, when Jesus said, just go out and do an inventory and see how much food is out there, Andrew's the one that came back and said, there are five loaves and two fishes, and here's what he said about it. But what are they among so many? We found, we found one boy who has some food, but, but what is that among so many? Now, here's the point. Why, does God let, why did God let them experience this? It was a test to see what they would do, to see how they would respond. Could it not be that there are times in our lives when we think our resources are not enough to do what he has told us to do, that he's testing us? Rather than, that, rather than for us to say, well, I just can't do that. I don't have the money to do that. I don't have the time to do that. I don't have the know-how to do that. Could it be just a test to see if we're really going to trust him or not? Are you going to trust me to do something that you cannot do? It's a matter of faith. It's a matter. So we find in this, number one, the things that God calls us to do are larger than we can do. I'll, I'll take that a step further. If you're a Christian, in everything that you do in your life, you can do without his help, then I'm telling you, you're not doing everything God wants you to do. Because God wants us to have to trust him, right? To depend on him. And sometimes the things that we say, well, I just could never do that. I could never do that. Or a test to see if we're going to trust him. Let me give you a third thought about this. 
The wisest thing that we can do with our meager resources is to give them to the Lord. John records that Andrew said this to Jesus. Think about these words. Here's the quote. There is a lad here which hath five barley loaves and two small fishes, but what are they among so many? Andrew said, I found this boy, and he's got a lunch. And I know it's not a lot, but it's all we've got. Let me ask you this as a parent. I thought about this this morning. How would you feel about this boy being asked to give his lunch? He's the only one that's got any food, right? He, he, by the way, he was the only one whose mom packed a lunch that morning for them to go out and listen to Jesus teach. What, what if it was your boy? What if, the, what if they come and got your boy's lunch and said, uh, we, we're going to use your lunch? You know, sometimes we are discouraged or criticized for encouraging people to give what they have to Jesus. But I want to tell you, if you'd inter interviewed this boy after this day was over with and asked him, hey, what would you think about giving your lunch to Jesus? He'd say, the greatest thing I ever did. The wisest thing we can do with our meager resources is give them to the Lord Jesus. God's able to take what we give Him and He makes it multiply. God can do that. God can do that. You say, what should I give Him? Give Him your time. Give Him your gifts. Give Him your, give him what? Give him your resources. Give him, give him your life. That'd be a good thing. Just give him your life. Amen? You know, sometimes you think about people and you think, well, man, I can see, I can see how that person is used or that person is blessed or how God could have them have an important place in his work, but I don't ever think that God could ever use me to do anything significant. I would say to you two things. Number one, if God is using them, it's because at some point in their life, and at many times in their life, they probably just said, God, I just want to give you my life. But second of all, you don't know what will happen in your life if you don't give it to Him. Give Him your life. Could you, if I were to ask you teenagers, some of you today, and say, have you, have you purposely, with great intention, Seriously, mind, have you given your life to Jesus Christ? Could you, say, could you say, without hesitation, I've given my life to Him? And you may be sitting here thinking, well, God could never use me. I have these personality problems, or I don't have this kind of a thing, or whatever. You could, all of us could say that. But the question is not what we have. The question is, will you give Him what you have? Will you give Him your life? You may be thinking, well, I've lived a lot of my life and I hadn't lived for the Lord and I'm not, you know, I regret some of the decisions I made. Well, just give Him your life. Whatever you have, just give it to Him. We resist that sometimes. We hold back. We're reluctant to give it to Him like somehow we can make something better come out of our life than He can. But I'm telling you, no matter how meager it may seem, bread and fish, it's just a few bread and fish among thousands of people, but he said, just give it to me, and I'll tell you, something miraculous began to happen when they gave it to Jesus. Would you give him your life? The, the wisest thing we can do, another lesson from this, the wisest thing we can do is to give our meager resources to him. The fourth thing I want to mention about this is 
that even though the miracle took place in Jesus' hands, he involved the disciples in his work. I think it's very important. Now, he instructed the disciples, first of all, before the miracle even began, he instructed the disciples to organize the people into smaller groups, very orderly. There's something in this lesson about being orderly. I'm not going to preach that today, but it's just something about it. He said, I want you to organize these people into smaller groups. And look in verse 41. Our Bible is still there at Mark chapter 6 and verse 41. And when he had taken the five loaves and the two fishes, he looked up to heaven and blessed and broke the loaves. Just hit the pause button for one second. In my mind, I'm thinking, I wonder what the disciples are thinking at this point right here. All these people, we've got them in small groups, all these people covering this area, thousands of people. And... We've given him five rolls, five pieces of bread, and two fish, and he's going to pray. He's going to pray over it. You know, when we, when we pray over our meal, we've usually got more than we know, more than we can even eat. He's going to pray over it, and he's got a hand. You can put it all in two hands. I wonder what these disciples are thinking. I'd be thinking, what is he doing now? You know almost feeling embarrassed. So it says in verse 41 that he looked up to heaven and blessed and break the loaves. He began to break the bread and gave to his disciples to set before them, to set before the people. And the two fishes divided he among them all. So he instructs the disciples he blesses the food. He breaks the loaves in pieces. He gives it to the disciples. And the disciples begin to distribute it among the people, right? The same little bit of lunch. The same meager lunch that they took from this lad and gave to Jesus. Jesus giving back to them. Now, I don't know how you feel about this, but I'm, I'm convinced that if Jesus wanted to, he could have fed all those people without the five loaves and two fishes. Don't you think so? Not only that, he could have fed all those people without using these disciples. Right? He could do that. So why did he, why did he do this? Because he's allowing his disciples to have a first a hand in what he's doing, a first-hand experience, a witness, how that by his hand this bread and fish would be multiplied and continue to multiply until everyone had eaten. It's a lesson for them, but it's also a lesson for us. He, God wants to use us. He wants to, he wants to teach us the value of investing our resources, putting what we have in his hands, and then watching Him take it and bless it and use it in ways that we could never imagine. It's a, first of all, it's a miracle that God would use any of us. I think it's an absolute miracle that God would love us enough to save us, but then that God would use us in His work. It's a miracle that God would use us 
But to watch what happens, and there are people in this room who've seen this firsthand, that you've taken your life and you've given it to God as, as little as it seemed, and you've watched in amazement that God would take it in, in His hands, He could use it. The miracle took place in Jesus' hands, but He involved the disciples in what He was doing. He, God uses us. God uses us. Wednesday night, uh, before the lesson, we've been teaching on Wednesday night about personal evangelism and witnessing and inviting people and stuff. So Wednesday night, I said, Did anybody here have a testimony? You know, I didn't know what was going to happen. I said, anybody here have a testimony? Maybe somebody you talked to or whatever. And, and uh, the Jim Balvos, they're in Texas today, but they were here. And, and they said, yeah, we were out calling on people and inviting somebody and looked down the row and the couple was right there with them, right there. You know what God did? God took them. God uses us. We invite people. God uses us. And it's an amazing thing that, that God would use us. That God would let us be a part. And some of you know this firsthand. You experience it a lot. But some of you, you're wondering, you know, if that could ever happen to me, just give Him your life. Give Him your life and, and watch and see what God could do with your life. And I, I know I, it may seem like I'm partial about this, and I probably am, but I believe this to be true. The greatest use of my life or your life, of all of our lives, individually or collectively, is to see what God could do through our lives. God would use us. We give our money in, to missions. I see that family up there out of our church. and You know what I'm thinking? They're, they're there because God put them there. They're there because God's using them there. But you know what? They're there because you gave money so they could go there. You're having a part in that. Everything they do, you're having a part in it. And as the disciples obeyed the instructions and distributed what Jesus gave them, it just continued to grow. It reminds me of the story in the Old Testament about the widow's cruise of oil. Remember the, her husband had died and, and she asked the prophet, what am I going to do? They're going to come take my kids and we, we don't have anything. He didn't left, leave us with anything and and he said, get these empty bottles. And, and he said, I have, oh, what do you have in the house? Same thing. What do you have in the house? Well, I got some oil. Well, we'll use that. <laughs> Go out and borrow a bunch of empty vessels. And every time they filled an empty vessel, there was enough to fill another empty vessel. And there was enough to fill another empty vessel. Another. That's the way God works. That's the way God works. The miracle took place in his hands, but he involved the disciples. The last thing I want to mention from this text, and it kind of fits into the last point, but it's very clear to me that it's not possible to outgive God. I mean, the more they gave away, the more they had. And I know unbelievers would look at that and say, well, I just don't believe you could do that. I don't think you could give to God and come out ahead. Well, you need to read your Bible more. You need to read your Bible more. You need to be a believer in what the Bible says. The more they gave away, the more they had. And when they fed everybody, and the language is very clear, you know, you may have probably sat down at a meal before. I have, and you thought, you know, if everybody eats as much as they want, there may not be enough to feed them all. Have you ever felt that way? They fed everybody, and they were all full. And yet they had 12 baskets left over. <laughs> Isn't that something? You cannot give God. One of the reasons Christians don't grow is because they don't give. They don't know what it's like. 
They don't know what it's like to give to God what God leads us to give and know that God is going to bless it. And I'm not preaching a prosperity theology. I'm just telling you God blesses giving. You ever read that verse in Proverbs where it says, there is that gathereth, or there is, excuse me, there is that scattereth. He scatters, he disperses, and yet he increases. Think about that. He's, he's dispersing, and yet while he's dispersing, he's increasing. And there is that withholdeth more than is meat, more than is necessary. They hold stuff, hoard it, that they shouldn't, and yet it tends to poverty. The more they try, the more they keep what they ought to give, the poorer they get, the more they give away, the more they're increasing. I'm just telling you, it's impossible to outgive God. I love this story. I love this miracle because it's the way God is. Why did Jesus do the things he did? He did it because he cares about people and he wants to help them. But he also did it so they could know who he was. That he was the Son of God. That he was the promised Messiah. The long-awaited deliverer. That they would believe on him. John says clear that they'd believe on him. Look up here and listen carefully. If you're here today and you're not saved or you don't know you're saved, there is nothing that you can do in and of yourself to save your eternal soul. And you do have an eternal soul. You're going to live forever somewhere. But there's nothing you can do. You can't be baptized enough or be good enough. But God sent His Son to die on the cross for us. That through faith in Him, you could be saved. You have to believe on Him. That's why these miracles are in here. To show who He is and that people might believe on Him. And if you're here today, you ought to trust Him today. You ought to come to Him today by faith and say, I need, I need to know that I'm going to heaven. I want to know Him. And I don't just want, I just don't want to come to God today and say, please forgive me so I can lift myself. I want, I want the Lord in my life. But He also did it because He wanted His followers to see how He could use them in His work. I'm persuaded, I'm persuaded, Brother Davison, that there are a lot of people, perhaps that are saved, but they're missing out on one of the most important parts of life is to see how God could use them in His work. And God wants to use you. Mom, dad, young person, God wants to use you, single adult, in His work. And it starts with just giving it to Him. Just give Him your life.